There he goes. One of God's own prototypes. A high-powered mutant of some kind never even considered for mass production. Too weird to live, and too rare to die. Welcome to Episode 6 of the Digital Freemason for November 28th, 2005. I'm your host, Scott, and I'll be taking you along on my journey through the world of short Masonic educational papers. Many of these papers have been presented in my lodge, King George Lodge No. 59, in Calgary, Alberta, Canada. If you're a returning listener, thank you very much for coming back, and keep the comments and feedback coming. I enjoy hearing it and getting tips that help me on my Masonic and technical journeys. If you're a new listener, welcome, and I hope you'll enjoy your stay and become a return listener. My email box is always open, so if you can have any other pieces of Masonic education which you think might be useful in this podcast, please feel free to email me at podcast at kinggeorgelodge.com. I look forward to hearing from you as we journey through the digital library of Masonic education. Today's Masonic piece comes from the 1950 Bulletin of the Grand Lodge of British Columbia and Yukon. It discusses the origin of the lodge floor. Much like the rough and smooth ashlers that were the topic of episode 2, the lodge floor is seen as just being there, and can be taken as having no higher purpose than keeping the brethren from falling into the basement of their lodge. Commenting that the beautiful flooring of the lodge seemed to vary from lodge to lodge, a brother asked me where the floor coverings derive. According to the ritual, the floor coverings should comprise a mosaic or squared pavement, a tessellated border, a sun in the center, and four tassels, one in each corner. To complete the symbolism for one interpretation, the tassels should be linked together by a rope surrounding the tessellation. Incidentally, the tessellation is a curiosity in craft decoration. It comes from, or is left over from, the royal arch, reminding us that the evolution of the degrees, the arch, was once a part of the Master Mason degree. However, the lecture description is not always followed. Pavement, that is, without the border, pavement without the sun, and so on. There seems to be no firm rule, even in the Freemason halls. It is probable that the Freemasonic lodges, even in operative-only days, had symbolic flooring. The earliest speculative minutes, those of the old Dundee Lodge in London, dated 1724, disclose that there was such, and there is at least from 1724 to 1782 that the symbolism was, was laid down nightly by the tiler. This duty was called framing, or forming the lodge, and was done in sand, chalk, and car- charcoal, the tiler being paid one-sixth a lodge night for the work. In those days all lodges were held in taverns. Indeed, even today, lodges in Britain meet in lodge rooms provided by hotels, have in some instance done in the same so for over a hundred years, and Grand Lodge laws still ordain that no publican may hold office in a lodge where he provides the room of the meeting. Taverns in the 1700s were humble places, almost always had strong floors of tile, slate, granite, or sandstone, set, which was called flags, which were sanded as a means of soaking up slop, dregs, and spittle. The tiler or framer scooped away the sand in the lines and patterned and colored the bare tiles with chalk or clay for white and charcoal for black. The substances were themselves given a symbolic importance, as representing freedom, zeal, fervency, though that probably was a ritualistic afterthought, undreamed of in 1724. There were no fixed symbols on these descended tiles. The tiler, usually not a lettered or artistic, but was serving brother, did his humble best as a liminaire. 
columns, steps, pavement, crisscross, dormer, letter G, square, level, and plum. Broken pillar, tomb of Hiram, beehives, and pots of manna are mentioned as figuring in the Tyler's art. At the end of the night's proceedings, it was a candidate's role, as a lesson in labor and humility, with a broom and water pail to wash away the symbolic design. This washed away also all the record of what the symbols were, which no doubt accounts for the paucity of knowledge about this phase of the floor decoration. Next stage in floor covering assumes a transfer of tavern tiles and a more gracious wooden floor, for the outline of the lodge design was marked out with tape, stretched tight and tacked down, with the symbols, now done by someone more artistic than the tiler, set out with templates and stencils. The tapes were lifted and the decoration was still washed away when the lodge rose. They were very cautious about secrets in those days. In 1733, a floor sheet is recorded. The symbols drawn on a calico background, and such sheets are still mentioned in the Masonic recordings in 1755, 1800, 1808, and 1811. Lodge over, the sheet was rolled up and stored away. Specimens, cracked and faded, are still treasured in English Masonic archives and museums, true documents in Masonic history. In 1771, a lodge in Bury, England, evidently owner of, it, of its lodge building, had symbols painted on the floor as a non-movable decoration. About 1760, the old floor symbols appeared on a wall, not floor. Precursor of the suspended tracing board, until then a true board on a trestle, hence the old term of the trestle board. Such sheets remain in the English Masonic archives. As with the floor sheets, designs on the wall sheets were unstable, much at the whim of artists, though one of 1825 was in design virtually the same as the first tracing board today. In the 1800, attempts were made to standardize floor coverings and wall sheets, and by 1820 several London craftsmen produced wall boards and sheets to a Grand Lodge approved pattern, the result being our present tracing boards, the floor of the lodge design becoming that of the first. By the early 19th century, Freemasonry, being prosperous and an above tavern association, was acquiring its own premises, consecrating rooms, now giving the name of temple to exclusive lodge use, and fitting the room with rich floorings and furnishing. Then came a beautiful flooring of the lodge, carried out in real marble squaring and tessellation, in carpentry, and then into lino that is almost standard today. The Black and Empty North Commenting on the formula now used in ritual when entered apprentices and fellow crafts are asked to retire before a lodge is passed or raised, or a candidate is about to be examined and given passing, sign, and a word, a correspondent asks why wardens, and or some other spokesmen, are not questioned whether all brethren, due to retire, have left the north of the lodge. Appeal to this warden is, of course, made because the tylers of the two lodges, portals, the junior of the outer gate and the senior of the inner chamber. Symbolically, there is a nothingness, a void, no light, no door, no furniture, no person in the north, in northern latitudes. The place is nearly continuous darkness, cold and discomfort, mythologically the place of evil. Even now, in, in this southern latitude, we keep the north free of light and furniture, and only pass along it ceremonially. We have, however, allowed it to become populated. Indeed, in most lodge rooms, owing to the south and west being occupied by pedestals, officers, organs, choirs, days, overflows, the north is the most populated compass point, and so for most do for screening when the junior brethren have been temporarily dismissed. 
When ritual coordinators added to the old formula questions to wardens to relieve the master of his former sole responsibility to see the assembly properly screened, they adhered to the immemorial tradition of northern emptiness. It will be recalled that earlier mention was made that the first lodges combined the symbolic with the actual. To secure a maximum of natural light in the days when artificial light was very crude, the lodges were set skillen-wise across the southern wall of the rising structure, with embrasures east to catch the light, south to enjoy the meridian, west to make the most of the setting sun. To the north of the lodge, against the blind wall of the building, was because, was because unlighted merely a passageway. We still use it as such. Where did this step originate, and what is its meaning? Although this step can hardly be called a mode of recognition, history informs us that there was a peculiar step in the old Egyptian Osiris initiation which was deemed a sign over 4,000 years ago. The step can be traced as far back to as at least the middle of the 18th century in the ritual which, as they described it. The custom of, of advancing in a peculiar manner and form to some sacred place or elevated personage has been preserved in the customs of all countries, especially among the Orientalists, who resort to even the prostration of the body while approaching the throne of the sovereign or the holy part of the religious edifice. The steps of Freemasonry are symbolic of respect and veneration for the altar where the Masonic light is to emanate. Symbolically, the step means that a man who joins Masonry does thereby take a step forward in his evolution towards perfection, and the fact that his identification as a Freemason begins with that step is a constant reminder and acknowledgement of that. The left foot is advanced because it is nearest the heart and symbolizes the intention, while the right foot is supposed to represent intellectual faculty. This means that the step is therefore obviously that in spiritual matter, intention always takes precedence over a mere reasoning process. This position is adopted, is intended to show that reason must always spring from the center of the right feeling. There we have it, a quick trip around our Masonic Lodge. Thanks for listening to the Digital Freemason. I've been your host, Scott, and I've enjoyed our time together. If you would like a transcript of this podcast, please visit our website at www.kinggeorgelodge.com. If you have any comments or ideas for, for the podcasts, please feel free to email me at podcast at kinggeorgelodge.com. And as always, be sure to keep that left foot out front.